Today we're going to talk about strength. I want to pray and then we'll get into it. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to dig into your word, to reflect on and discuss and, and hear what it means to worship you with all our strength. So I pray, Lord, that our hearts and minds and ears would all be open to what you have to teach us today. I pray that my words would be your words, that you would speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, there are two types of strength. There is power and there is endurance. And I'm going to tell you a personal story for each. Well, I'll tell you like this. When I think of power, I think of power lifting. And when I think of power lifting, I think of CrossFit. Anybody here CrossFit? Anybody? Maybe. Sizing half a hand in the back. You know why I knew nobody here CrossFitted? Because nobody's told me already, okay? You ever hear that joke? Like an atheist, a CrossFitter, and a vegan all walk into a bar. I knew within two minutes. You know why? Because they told me, right? CrossFitters, <laughs> CrossFitters like to tell you all about CrossFit, the workouts they did, how much weight they deadlifted, how many times they did a clean and jerk, how many power presses, overhead squats. I've done it a couple times, and each time I walked away maybe a little bit thinner, but a lot sore, okay? Um, but I did have one cool CrossFit story that I want to share with you. My buddy Dave got married. And he's a little church in Los Angeles. It's a Spanish-speaking church. His dad is a pastor. He's also a teacher at Fuller, which is awesome. But it was a do-it-yourself wedding. You know, it's kind of like the Faith Cafe. They were doing um, a, re- a reception in the Faith Cafe. And we had all these boxes of things to bring in. And they also had those big sparklet bottles. Do you know those big, heavy, I don't, that, I don't know how many gallons, but those big water bottles. And so everybody's grabbing one at a time. And I'm Chris. I'm Chris Dickens. I can do two, right? And so this is in the height of my CrossFitness. And I grabbed two and I picked them up. And I walked in. Everybody looked at me like, how do you do that? It's one of those moments where I was like, yeah, I'm not just big. I'm strong, you know? It's like, ah, right? But the weird part about that type of power, power is explosiveness. Power is kind of a one short time exertion of strength. Any personal trainers in here can correct me if I get wrong, but power would be like that Olympic weightlifter. Power would be like that clean and jerk with two sparklets bottles, okay? Um, I want to I talk briefly about the difference between a sermon and a Bible study, because today I want to give you a sermon. And what I mean by that is I want you to be encouraged, be challenged, and learn how to apply something. The Bible study talks about what the Bible says, the history, some interpretations. The sermon is more about how we apply it. So today, in our back and forth, I'm going to point to you, and I want everybody to say how, okay? So I'm going to read something, and when I point to you, everybody's going to say how. You got it? All right. So how do we develop spiritual power? Number one, we recognize that God is the source of our strength. Good question. (laughs) Uh, Psalms 28, 7 and 8. It says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. The Lord gives his people strength. He is a safe fortress for his anointed king. We trust. How do we tap into power? We first have to trust him. And when we trust him, he helps us. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. So that's Step one of power is recognizing where your help comes from, recognizing the source of your strength is God. And then the second part of it is Psalms 8, 1, 3, and 4. It says, our Lord, our Lord, O Lord, 
our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? (laughs) Not yet, but it's coming. (laughs) Do you ever look around after it rains? Had a lot of rain lately. That's why they had so much snow at winter camp. But you ever look around and you see the mountains that you don't normally get to see? And you're like, man, this is really gorgeous. Or considering the fact that we live five miles from the ocean, we don't always go as often as we probably should or could. But you ever just go down there and sit with your, by yourself or with your wife or your boyfriend, your girlfriend, and just reflect on how gorgeous the sunset is or how beautiful the, the sunrise is? Now, in L.A., we don't really see the stars like you can in other places. When I lived in Colorado, man, millions of stars. Here, there's too much light pollution, yada, yada. But when you go to places like winter camp, you go up to the mountains or you go to the, the, the mountains for a retreat or you go to the ocean, you see the beauty of what God is doing. You see the beauty of God's creation. There's a reason why when we want to connect with the Lord, we go away on retreats. We've got a men's retreat coming up. We've got a women's retreat coming up. We just had a winter camp. We get away from all the things that distract us. And we look around. No cell signal, right? I think Jimmy and Heather confiscated the phones. But when you don't have all these distractions, you look around and you say, wow, God's amazing. Look at these trees. Look at these mountains. Look at this snow. Look at this water. When you get away from it all and you slow down a little bit, or even better, when it rains and all the junk is pulled away, all the smog and dust and pollution is blown away, you get to see the glory and the beauty of God's creation. When you do that, it puts you in a place where you realize just how small you really are. When you see the, the, vast, the vastness of God's creation, the magnitude of what he's created, you're forced to think about yourself in relation to that creation. And whether you like it or not, you're really small compared to the power and the glory of what God is capable of. We're surrounded by his work, but we rarely stop to see it. Only when we're forced to look around do we really take in what God has done and what God is capable of. How else do we develop spiritual power? Practice. Well, it's like any muscle, you have to use it. You have to put it into action. Most times when people want or need to experience the Lord's power, they're asking for one of two things. They're asking for provision or they're asking for protection. Do you agree with that? Now, think about the last time that you were in real need of God's power, that you were in really desperate need of God's intervention in your life. What was going on? You don't have to share it out loud, but think about what was happening to where you really needed God's help to get through something. Chances are you probably needed God to provide something or to protect you from something. Would you agree with that? Excuse me. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says to trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. When we practice tapping into God's power, we first have to trust. If you're going to practice, the how of practice, step one is to trust. Recognizing that in this grand scheme of things, in this vastness of creation, you're really small, we have to trust the person that's in control of all. We have to shrink ourselves back and say, you know what? I'm going to trust God because even if I can't see the path, even if I can't see the way, I know that he's in control. So the first step of tapping into that power is to to practice tapping into that power is to trust 
In my opinion, the second step, Matthew 6, 31 through 33, talks about provision. Now, I've got stories upon stories of the way God has come through in the, in, in the last minute with uh, financial provision or uh, <laughs> getting into school, uh, financial aid for Vanguard. I mean, there's all these wonderful stories of timing, of God's timing, where you say, hey, God, I need you. And you pray, God, I need you to, to, to provide this rent. I need you to provide this paycheck, this job, this uh, medical care because my insurance ran out. See, we come in here often and we put our best foot forward, but each and every one of us has had one of those moments where you said, God, I need you right now in a supernatural, miraculous way. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to the mailbox and there's surprise money in there. I know that sounds great and too good to be true. But go, oh, sure, Chris, God gave you a check. I'm going to tell you something. When I was working here a few months back, full time, it was tough. Money was tight and we weren't sure how to make it. My wife, Jenny, works as a nurse and she was working, I think, full time then. She was working her butt off, but we were still struggling. And I didn't know what to do. And I cried out to the Lord day after day, Lord, please, God, provide. I didn't know how I was going to pay my rent. I'm just being honest with you guys. And all of a sudden, we had this weird monopoly thing where Jenny, it was like bank error in your favor, okay? They, they went to my wife and they said, hey, we haven't been paying you enough. We're, you're supposed to, was it $2? You're supposed to get $2 more an hour. And we're going to pay that retroactively for the last six months since you went, you know, since you got promoted. And it was amazing because we're standing there going, how are we ever going to make it? And it's like, "Eh, here you go. (laughs) And that's one story of many. I can give you multiples. We had foster children living with us one year, one Christmas. And I don't know if you guys know this, but when you have foster kids, they're supposed to give you money every month and help you with beds and and basic needs. We had gotten the beds, (laughs) but we hadn't gotten any of the money for the clothes or any of the other things that we were supposed to get. So we were really spread thin. And we didn't know how we were going to make it. Pretty much all of our money for Christmas had gone to basic needs. And here we had two kids at the time and two foster kids, and we didn't have a whole lot of plan for Christmas. I promise you, no exaggeration, we're sitting there talking about this probably two days before Christmas going, what are we going to do? And there's a knock at the door. And there's a man that I've never met before in my life who hands us a Target gift card for, what, 750 bucks? $500 and says, here you go. And I'm like, where did you come from? It was a giving tree, right? Just like we had the giving trees here at Christmas time, his church had done a giving tree and somebody had known that we had taken in these two foster children and put our name on the list. And this man literally showed up two days before Christmas with a gift card. We were able to do Christmas presents for not just our kids, but for the foster kids as well. If you think about it, Every one of you probably has some kind of story that's similar to that. And if you don't, it's coming. I know it's coming because it happened for me. And I was skeptical. I remember sitting in these church seats or pews at the youth and going, sure, God got you a check. Sure he did. It's not all about money, guys. I'm talking about provision. When my daughter was in the hospital, she had an infection and we had to get uh, a surgery done. It was terrible. We cried out, Lord, protect her, provide. She was healed. 
She still had to go through the surgery, but it was, we, we haven't had a problem since. There are these things that happen that make me say, wow, when I trust God, when I give up all of my control, which trust me, that takes a lot of power and a lot of strength to relinquish your control. And I'm terrible at it because I'm captain, make a list, check it twice, plan it out, resources, research. I research everything. But when you trust God, things happen. Matthew 6, 31 through 33. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all of your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Step one is trust. Step two is don't worry. Seek. The last thing is Psalms, Psalms 91. I'm going to bounce around a little bit today. I don't want you guys to try to turn to it in your Bibles. We're putting it up on the screen because there's a lot of different things here. And I personally, I like to preach through a a selection of scripture, like we did Acts 18 or 19. But when we're talking about something topical like this, I want to bring these scriptures that are relevant to you. And hopefully you can save your your bulletin or or write them down or save it on your phone, highlight them, whatever you got to do. Because this verse right here, Psalm 91, my mom used to tell me this when I was young. And 91, 911, right? It's the, what, you, what you do in emergency. So um, Psalms 91, 1, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. We'll find rest. So we got to trust the Lord. We don't worry. We seek him with everything we've got, and then we rest. Psalms 91, 9 through 15, if you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer and I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I don't know about you, but I don't need a whole lot more than that. If I trust the Lord, I don't worry. I seek him in all that I do. I rest. He'll protect me. If I want power, if I want to tap into the power of God, those are the things that I have to do. And the last one is more another P, actually, to participate Acts 2, 17 through 21, it says that in the last days, God says he will pour out his spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause great wonders in the heavens and above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But here's the best part. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How do you tap into that power? Trust God. Rest. Seek him with everything you've got. And he will protect you. All you've got to do is call on his name. Sounds easy, right? It's not. It's hard. There are people in here right now that are going through a lot of stuff. That are struggling. That are hurting. They don't see a way out that have been praying this type of prayer and waiting for God's provision or God's protection, and it's just not coming. I didn't come here to tell you it's all going to be sunshine and rainbows. All you got to do is pray and everything's going to work out. I can't promise you that. I can promise you that God's in control. 
That doesn't mean we take our hands. Well, I'll put it to you like this. When you are lost, when you have no hope, when you need a miracle, whether it's protection or provision, or even you want God to participate in what you're doing, you need that God level of power. You got to go through these steps. You got to recognize that it's not about you. You got to trust God. You have to rest and relax and you have to go back to the word. Believe that he's going to protect you. And even if that doesn't happen the way you want it to happen or the way that you think it should, trust that he has a plan. And no matter what happens, at the end of it all, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So how do we develop spiritual endurance? Number one, you let go of your human strength and you tap into his strength. That's what you've been waiting for, Aiden. There you go. This one's not so easy. If you want endurance, you want to make it through something difficult. See, we've already prayed for the powerful intervention. We paid, prayed for the provision. We prayed for the impact, for the saving. And if the saving doesn't come, now we've got to go to endurance. Now we've got to endure when we don't get that miraculous deliverance. Now we have to endure when we feel like God is not listening. We have to endure when we feel like God is not there. And that's okay. If you don't have room in your theology to ask God where he is, read the Psalms. God, where are you? God, I'm angry. God, strike down my enemy because I'm afraid he's coming to get me. These are all real emotions written by some of the heroes of the Bible. So again, if you're praying for provision, you're praying for protection and it's not coming. Now it's the time we have to endure. Now think of power as I'm going to pick up this sparkless bottle. Now endurance is I've got to carry this until the Lord tells me to put it down. Some of you guys are carrying that thing right now. Maybe two, might be three. You're sick. You lost your job. Your finances are not what they should be. Your marriage is not what it should be. Your kids are in trouble or they're acting out or they're, you name it, kids do a lot of things. I imagine that everybody in here has some kind of a, a, a heavy weight that they're carrying, some kind of endurance. I want to tell you a story of one of the hardest times of my life. I'm going to tell you probably one of the hardest things I ever had to endure. And it was physical, but I want you to understand why this is so important. February of the year 2000, I had back surgery. And I died. Twice. I had some sort of reaction to the anesthesia. Something went wrong. I stopped breathing. My heart stopped. I coded the whole thing. It's an amazing story. If you want to talk to my mom, talk to my mom and ask her about this story. Because the way God came through with power and provision in that instance was miraculous. Mama, should I tell it? All right. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I'm telling it. Only because she's back there nodding her head. <clears throat> my mom's a nurse. She's the director of nurses at a hospital, a big old hospital in Los Angeles. Mom, I didn't prepare this, so I don't want to, I don't know the name of the hospital right now, so forgive me. Um, I was in Colorado by myself. I have really good friends and family out there, but they're not your mama, right? They're not who you want when stuff's hitting the fan, right? But I'm out there, I'm going to back surgery. I need to get this uh, laminectomy. It's going to fix all the sciatica and all that stuff. And it's supposed to be a routine surgery. And they get my mom's phone number in case of emergency, and I go into surgery. 
Well, they do everything, and everything goes well with the back surgery, but as they're coming to wake me up, something goes wrong. Pulmonary edema. Anybody know that term? Where my lungs fill up with my own juices, right? I basically drowned in my own stuff. I'll keep it PG. And uh, stop breathing. <clears throat> the first time they brought me back, and they called my mom, Mrs. Dickens, is there something we need to know about your son? Is there something we need to know about his allergies or about his medical history that he's having this trouble coming out of the anesthesia, that he's having this trouble breathing? What do we need to know? But as they're talking to my mom, my mom's in a meeting, a board meeting with a bunch of bigwig doctors, <clears throat> but she left her phone on because she knew I was going under the knife, right, wouldn't you? And so she's talking to him on the phone, and they're saying, Mrs. Dickens, your son's in here, he's having trouble. Is there anything we need to know? And as they're telling her, now, sidebar, I told Jenny this story when we first met, and she thought I was full of it. So it wasn't until a few years later that my mom told the story that Jenny goes, ooh, that story is true. So if you don't believe me, that's okay. That's okay. But it's a true story. My mom's on the phone in this boardroom talking to the doctors in Colorado, 840 miles away, and she hears them call a second code. Beep. I was told that my heart rate went into the single digits. So nine beats per minute. Think about that. Every, what, seven seconds? Doom, doom. <laughs> right? And my mom says, oh, we don't really go white. We probably go gray. But my mom says, <laughs> again, I didn't prepare this, people. All right. <clears throat> the color drains from my mom's face. And she's shocked because she hears them call a code. And she's a nurse. She knows what's going on back there. She knows there's a bunch of people working on her baby trying to get them back to life. And I don't know. Did you drop the phone? She handed the phone to somebody else. Guess who's sitting next to her, at least in the same room. I don't know if he was next to you. One of the world's best respiratory doctors. And he picks up the phone and says, what's going on? I wasn't going to cry this time. And this guy in Hollywood, California, tells these clowns in Grand Junction, Colorado, <laughs> what to do to save my life. It was the perfect timing. She's on the phone, the doctor is the man sitting next to her, and I'm dead 840 miles away. This guy talks them through what to do and what to try, and guess who comes back? You want power? Hire some power for you. All right? Provision? There's some provision for you. But guess what? That's not the end of the story. <clears throat> well, all this is going on. I'm sleeping. I did. But I'm going to tell you what happened. And this is one of those, I don't really like the whole, like, near-death experience story. So bear with me here. I didn't see anything. I didn't really think there was a light. Okay? But what I do remember was sleeping. And it was the best sleep I ever had in my life. It was the most comfortable, blissful sleep. When I think about it, I'm like, man, if I could get two hours of that, I'm good for a week. <laughs> but I remember thinking, this feels so good. Too good. And I remember thinking, like, I, I, as I remembered, I remember myself, like, floating away from me on the table. I don't know if this is real or just something I created. But I was getting further and further away from myself. And I was like, man, this is feeling real good. It's like, wait, shouldn't I be waking up? Uh-oh. <laughs> and then I thought, I need to wake up. I don't want to sleep forever. So I started fighting and fighting and clawing and biting and scratching my way back to myself. Okay, that's how I remember it. And after a really long fight, I woke up. And I couldn't do anything. I had used every ounce of strength in my body 
to wake up. When you hear about people in the hospital that are fighting, that's what they're doing. They're trying to get back to themselves. And you hear some people say, well, he let go. They went to that beautiful sleep. That's what I think. I can't tell you. It's not scriptural. That's Chris Dickens, right? But I woke up, and I was so weak. My best friend, Matt, standing there looking at me, and he's white as a ghost going, dude, you okay? (laughs) It took every ounce of strength I had to give him, like, the most baby little thumbs up ever. Like, I'm good, dude. I had to go to the bathroom, something awful. I was too weak to push out my own urine. They gave me the little uh, urinal thing, and I was like, nothing. They don't give me a catheter. That's a whole other story. (laughs) (laughs) But do you know how tired you have to be to not be able to just give a thumbs up or have a natural bodily function? I was exhausted. I've never been that tired in my life. But I had to endure I had to go, I had to walk again. I had to learn how to put one foot in front of the other. I had to breathe. My lungs were, just think about working a muscle. My lungs were sore like you just hit, like you just squatted 300. It was one of the hardest week or two recoveries of my life. When I asked God, God, what was that about? I wasn't living my life in the way that I, would have pleased God at the time. But I thought I could have died. What did you save me for? This is one of the few times that the Lord spoke to me so clearly. It was like if, it's like if Lee said to me, wrap it up, Chris. It was that clear. God said, you have work to do. And I said, what does that mean? He said, you have work to do. And I said, what does that mean? And God says, I saved you for a reason. I don't know what the reason is. I think I know now. But at the time, I was clueless. I had no idea, and I said, okay, God, what do you want me to do? But here's the point, guys, is I had to die to get there. I had to let go to get there. So when you say, how do you tap into that spiritual endurance, I'm going to give you this scripture, Galatians 2.20. It's one of my favorites. I first heard about this scripture a few years back watching the Olympics, and they asked this swimmer, they said, hey, what, what, what inspires you? What gets you through? Are you nervous? She said, I'm not nervous. Whatever happens is going to happen according to God's plan. I was like, oh, that's pretty bold. And they said, well, wh- what do you live by? What's your mantra? And she said this scripture. She says, my old self has been crucified with Christ, so it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting, there's that word again, trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I died in February of 2000. I had to to figure out what God wanted me to do. Now, hopefully you don't go through all this crazy surgery, but you got to die too. What do I mean? When you don't have anything but Jesus, you realize that Jesus is all you need. We have a lot of cool mantras, memes. Jesus, take the wheel. Everybody knows that song, right? Take it from my hand. We sing it. Coming over this way because I want to show you something. People on this side, I'm sorry. I'm going to bring up the chairs. If you're driving, I'm going to try to do this without getting feedback. 
We're driving. We're in control. We know where to go. We know when to stop. We know when to turn. That doesn't work for God. If you want to die to yourself and get that endurance that I'm talking about, you got to get up. You got to get yourself for a passenger seat. You ever see a little kid? You let them sit in your lap and let them drive. You ever do that? You let a little kid drive and they're always doing this, and you know that if they really had a steering wheel, they'd just crash and you'd all die if I read right? Well, when you give a kid a toy steering wheel or you let them sit on your lap and they're doing this, that's us. You're sitting on God's lap going, I got this, God. I'm telling you, you got to get out of that driver's seat and get in the passenger seat. Or yeah, get in the back seat and rest. But too often what we say is, Jesus, take the wheel, but we're over here like this. You can have the driver's seat, Lord, but I got to keep one hand on it in case you mess up. In case you make a wrong turn, Jesus, I'm going to take control of this bad boy. You got to die. And I don't mean die like you got to stop breathing like I did. But you have to die to yourself. The second way we can tap into that endurance is to recognize that there's strength in numbers. How? Stick together. First Peter 5, 8. One of my favorites, it says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What does the roar do? Why is the roar important? It's scary. It intimidates. It strikes fear. The lion doesn't go after the hungry or the strong ones in the middle of the pack. You know the one the lion goes after? The weak ones. Not just the weak ones, the ones that are separated from everyone else. Satan doesn't have to roar to attack. But that roar is what scares us. That roar is what gives us that intimidation that makes us take hold of that wheel and say, I got this one, Jesus. I'm a little nervous, so let me take the wheel for a little while. That roar is what scares you and separates you from the herd, but their strength in numbers. So when you need that endurance, when you're carrying that weight, you've got to lean on the people in your herd. You've got to lean on the people in this room, the people that are in your family, your friends. Your core circle of people are who you have to run with. Stay together, gazelles. So if you go off on your own, that's where you get got. The third way that we can tap into endurance is practice. How? Colossians 3.23, you're familiar with this one. Everyone, this is called the bad day at work scripture, okay? Where you try to remind yourself, work willingly at whatever you do as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. When your boss has got you all messed up and you're frustrated, you're like, oh, I'm working for Jesus today. (laughs) It's not him, it's Jesus. What you tell yourself when you're ready to smack your boss, right? Worship isn't the songs that we sing. Worship is everything we do. Work willingly at whatever you do. That's not just a song. That's not clapping your hands. That's not reading your scripture. That's not giving a testimony. See, in youth group, we're doing all these alternative ways of worship. 
We've done testimony, devotion, scripture memorization. We're doing all these different things, but it's everything. It's your job. It's your drive to work. It's your, your relaxation time after you get home. It's everything that you do. Let me show you what I mean. Psalms 100 verses 1 and 2 says, shout to the Lord. I'm sorry, shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Everybody knows that song, right? Worship the Lord with gladness. We're not going to get into a debate about translations of the Bible, but if you look at the NASB, that word worship says to serve the Lord with gladness. The Hebrew word for worship there means to serve or to do work or to give an effort. So it's not just that we worship. It's that we serve. It's that we work. It's that we put everything we do as a reflection to God. Whatever we do, we offer it up as an offering of worship. If you're not worshiping throughout the week, then what are you singing about on Sunday? Hey, Lord, I'm here for two hours. This is fantastic. And when I leave, I'm leaving you here, right? (laughs) People always, Chris, you know, the most popular questions you get as a pastor, Lee, you can back me up on this if you agree or disagree. Why does God let bad things happen to good people? A close second is, where is God when I'm going through trouble? You know what the answer is? Right where you left it. true we all come in and put on our jesus outfits for sunday and we sing and we pray and we have a good time and then we leave them right here if this is the only time you sing you're doing it wrong this is the only time you pray the only time you crack your bible you're doing it wrong because it's supposed to be with you 24 7 with everything whatever you do do it as though you're doing it for the lord psalms 1 2 and 3 but they delight in the lord in the law of the Lord, I'm sorry, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. That word meditating, Hebrew word, means to mutter or repeat. Another usage is chant. Now you can recite scripture all you want, but you know how we chant? We play music. We sing songs. So when you're carrying that weight and you need that endurance power, you know how we can get through? Sing your face off. Pray, chant, recite, mutter, talk, sing, whatever you got to do. Culture is defined by that which we celebrate. What are you celebrating? Big deal at work? Yeah. Vacation? Yeah. Look at somebody's Facebook. What are they celebrating? Celebrate the Lord. I'm not asking you to post, today is great, Jesus said, woo, right? But when you're going through that time where you need that endurance, what do you do? I challenge you this week, when you have a rough moment, start singing. My mom needs to stay away from here because I always cry. But um, (laughs) my mom, I would wake up on the weekends to her singing gospel songs. And these songs never left me. Train up a child. She trained me with music. So when I hit those hard times, you know what I do? I sing to myself. When I hit those hard times, I put in that worship CD or I, I put in that tape, if you're old school, and you get that, that meditation going. Give me faith to trust what you say. It's one of my favorites, right? We had a song called Ordinary People. Because my God uses ordinary people. He uses people like you and me who are willing to do as he commands. He uses people that will give their all. 
That was my call to ministry song. Because I said, God, me? I'm not good enough. And God said, ordinary people. And I heard my mom singing in the kitchen. That will never leave me. Because it's so deep. It's so ingrained in my meditation that when the stuff hits the fan, I go to the songs. And if it's not the songs that Pete's taught me or the songs that I've heard listening to the fish, it's my mama singing in the kitchen in 1984. Matthew 16, 24 through 25. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So what do we have to do? Give up. Let go. If you don't get that power, protection, or provision, and you got to endure, go to that scripture. Let go of the wheel. Meditate. Repeat those songs, those scriptures, those things that are deep ingrained in the very core of your faith. And let go. Yesterday we did a funeral. I stood right here for my grandfather. And I talked about how great of a man he was. He's 96 years old. You guys might remember he came back in August. He was here in December. And I got to recap his life. World War II Marine. Volunteer firefighter. He worked on the missile program during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Even after he retired, he did Meals on Wheels and Senior Friends. I found out yesterday he used to pray every night for everyone in the family by name, 30 to 40 minutes of prayer. I didn't know that. But Jenny's mom, who takes care of him, had a baby monitor in his room. So if he, if he called for her in the middle of the night, she could hear it. But she instead heard him praying every night. I'm not telling you got to pray 30 or 40 minutes. You, you don't have to be grandpa. But what I'm saying is let the Lord infiltrate every cell of your body. Let his will and his teaching seep into every ounce of strength that you don't have. So when you can't even give a thumbs up, God picks you up. When you can't carry it anymore, you don't have to. It's not your load to carry. Get out of that driver's seat and get your butt in the back seat and rest. I told myself I wasn't going to get loud. Well, a lot of people say, oh, we like what you do, Chris. I'm like, what do I do? I just do this. But apparently one of the things I do is I get loud, but you know, I don't do it for effect, people. This is what I tell myself. Everything I'm telling you is what God's telling me. And it hits me like a download, and then I send it to all of you like a constant contact email, right? So this is not a lesson that I have mastered. This is something that I'm struggling with. Because sometimes I'm holding on to the wheel. Sometimes I'm in the driver's seat. Sometimes I don't know how, long I'm, how much longer I can carry this. Sometimes I need power and provision and protection. Sometimes I call on the Lord to participate in what I'm doing. I'm calling on him right now. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Pete said it earlier. He kind of stole my thunder, Pete. It's not your strength. It's his strength. Because yours can only go so far. Everybody make a muscle. <laughs> squeeze it as hard as you can. Keep squeezing it. How long can you do this? All right, relax. Everybody's like, whew. 
You're going to get tired. Because you can't do it. You weren't designed to do it. If you think it's up to you, you're thinking wrong. You look around and figure out where you left God and go pick him back up and let him drive. If you... Yesterday, I, I, in the funeral, I, I did the eulogy. It's really my first funeral as a pastor. And it was hard emotionally. But it was great because I knew the kind of follower of Christ, the kind of believer, the kind of Christian that he was. This line, Jenny reminded me, Lee showed this video a little while back. This guy's wife had died and it was a tragedy. And he, people kept saying, I'm sorry you lost your wife. I'm sorry you lost your grandpa. I'm sorry for your loss. I didn't lose him. I know exactly where he is. And I'm on my way. I never make it through without Christ. My kids love going to my grandpa's house. They love to sit at his feet and hear his stories about World War II and all his crazy things. And they say, well, whose house are we going to go to now? And I said, I know the way to grandpa's new house. And if you follow me, I'll show you the way. We'll go together. Because I have a hope that transcends all the things that make us tired. I have a faith that gives me strength when I can't even give a thumbs up. There is power in the name of Jesus. You got to give me a better amen than that. If you don't know it, then bring your butt up here and I will tell you everything I know about it. If you have questions, come and I will pray with you. I will talk with you. I'll recruit people if I don't know. And we will answer those questions, but we will walk that journey together. I have no delusions that it's a decision. I want you to think all you got to do is pray a prayer and it's all good. The decision to follow Christ is a marathon, not a sprint. But you got to take that first step. So if any of you are here looking at that starting line going, I don't know if I want to make this race or not. I don't know if I'm strong enough to make it to the end. You ain't got to be. You don't have to be strong. I got somebody that's stronger than all of us put together. If you're already on that race, you're getting tired. I'm not a runner, as you can tell. <laughs> but you see those people when they're on the race and they go over to the table, they got the water, right? And it refreshes them for a minute. They drink it and it gives them the strength to keep going. That's where we are right now. This is that water table. This is that filling station to fill you up. And I know I'm going long. I'm sorry. But this is where you go to get filled up. This is where you go to get that energy to keep running. This is where you go to get that strength, that power, that protection, that endurance. This is why Lee asked me to come up here because I know all about strength because I look like this, but I am the weakest person in the room sometimes. And I might be able to bench press 250, 300 pounds. My God can press a heck of a lot more than that. So here's what we're going to do. Pete, I'm sorry. Come on up, band, if you would. We're going to sing a song. And elders, elder couples, if you would please stand, take a spot around the room to where if you need prayer, if you need someone to pray for you for the strength, for power, for protection, or for provision, if you need someone to pray for you to give you that endurance and that ability to keep going, or if you just want to start the race, find one of these couples that are standing 
Find me, find Pastor Lee, find anybody. We'll pray with you. We'll tell you everything we know. We're all running this race together. I don't want anybody to be left behind. I don't want anybody to be separated and, and susceptible to the roar of the lion. Run with me. Thank you.